1: Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, try to explain this stuff. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You have to hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. Yep, talking about the coronavirus, which the Centers for Disease Control now tells us cannot be contained. And that's really why the Dow plunged another 879 points today. S&P plummeted 3.03 percent. The Nasdaq nosedived 2.77 percent on top of yesterday's hideous losses. The Dow's now lost 1,911 points in a row. That's a decline of 6.6 percent. Two days. Now, you don't need me to tell you that this is serious stuff, especially if the director of the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases told us this afternoon to now expect and I'm using her terms, significant disruption in our lives. Instantly, that rather disconcerting position became the conventional wisdom. That is the chief reason why we sold off so hard, particularly in the afternoon. Of course, it is always a little more complicated than that, right? Now, our stock market is following the much larger fixed income market, where bond yields are currently hitting record lows. All sorts of maturities. When interest rates collapse today, the benchmark 10-year Treasury now yields just 1.35%. Stocks got crushed the bond market is screaming that this pandemic will cause a dramatic decline in economic activity both here and around the world. And when the bond market speaks, the stock market takes that word as gospel. If you want to prepare for the virus, I want you to go to the CDC's website, cdc.gov. I'm not a doctor. I don't even play one well on TV. But what I can do is help you prepare your portfolio for the coronavirus-induced economic dislocation, which is clearly occurring. Now, after two vicious down days, we find ourselves at an important crossroads. As Warren Buffett told Becky Quick, it has always been a great time to buy American stocks, and sometimes when they're on sale, it's an even better time to pull the trigger. So is this one of those moments? Let me tell you how I approach these situations because it's not cut and dry. First, as I have advised you for weeks now, I have said I want you to have a ton of cash. How much is a ton? Depends on you. For my travel trust, which you can follow by joining the com club, 20% of our portfolio is now in cash. That's abnormally high. We were still selling stock even this morning, raising cash. I thought we'd be down today, so I spent all morning on Twitter at 3.30 a.m. Whatever. RealMoney.com, squawk on the street, even when the average were looking up telling you no, no, no. Now, when the market briefly did rally this morning, even as the bond yields were already tumbling to record lows, signaling a worldwide slowdown, you know what we did? Yeah, we used even that strength to sell. (sighs) Have to. See, this morning was a sucker's rally. And you knew that because the bond market, by having interest rates go lower, told you it was a sucker's rally. Yeah, the trust actually sold a stock I like. That's the kind of stuff we're doing now. Activision Blizzard, huge video game company, even though I figured Activision would be pretty much immune to the virus. Doesn't matter. Wanted to sell another favorite, Home Depot. Home Depot. They reported a blog quarter. I believe the pandemic will keep people from shopping, though. And that stock, which was up really huge, ended up giving up the gains Yeah, should have unloaded it, I guess, but I don't want to take too short-term review. Uh, My restrictions wouldn't let me ring the register, but what happens if Larry Cudlow, the president's chief economic advisor and my former co-host at CNBC, is correct when he tells us to be a little more optimistic and a little less hysterical? I've known Larry for a long time. He's been right a lot. In that case, you could do a lot worse than owning a stock at Home Depot. We know they're doing great. We know that as of this morning. And we know that they thrive in a low-interest-rate environment. Although... This is how hard things have gotten people, Toll Brothers. The high-end home builder reported an extremely disappointing quarter this very evening. Metaphorical, isn't it? Unfortunately, we didn't see too many buying opportunities today. Hey, I tried. was looking all day. Just kept looking at the screen. Sell, sell some CVS. Thought, hey, maybe CVS should buy that one. That could be good, right? Uh, but you know what? stock fell hard thanks to the sudden ascent of Bernie Sanders. Because CVS had purchased Edna, a health insurance provider, and Bernie wants to make private insurance obsolete. However, even if this coronavirus causes a recession that lets him win the White House in a landslide, another theory going behind people selling heads is he won't have the votes in Congress to pass a single-payer health care plan. All right, so why not be more aggressive after this huge decline? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that what Buffett's telling us? Well, let's parse it a little. First, the rest of the world is slowing dramatically as the virus goes global. I don't think that's in all the stocks. It's not in the numbers. Second, the transports. Boy, do they ever flash red. They're the most important bell of the group, and they are getting annihilated here, trucking down 9% year over year. Later, we're going to hear from WEX. That's a company that's deeply involved in helping truckers save money on fuel. Got to get a better read on this most economically sensitive industry out there. Fortunately, they're diversifying away from it. Remember, it's not the disease itself that's causing this carnage. It's not even... Don't let people tell you it's the fear that's causing it. No. It's the fact that's causing it. The fact that the disease is disrupting commerce. It's slamming the brakes on the economy. It's not a fear... The only thing you have to fear is fear itself. That's wrong. The only thing you have to fear is the facts. And the facts aren't good. Give another example. MasterCard. Another cup we happen to have on the show tonight. MasterCard stock has been a phenomenal long-term winner. One of the best in the entire market. One of the top... Really? Of, really? For the last 10 years? Probably one of the best there is. But last night, the company cut its revenue forecast because of, yes, the coronavirus. I'm confident that a year from now, we could look back and say this was one off. But that didn't stop people from dumping the stock. No one says, oh, wow, I don't have to worry about the coronavirus. That's not how it works. MasterCard's book of business is pretty representative of the global economy, not just South Korea and Italy, where the outbreak's really taken off. I bring this up because if it can happen to MasterCard, it can happen to anybody in travel and leisure and retail. You just don't shop much when you're under quarantine or worried that you might catch a potentially lethal illness. Commerce will go on. It always does. But it's going to be at a slower rate than we were expecting, certainly that the companies were expecting. That's what matters. Given that the averages hit record levels last week and the froth was as thick as I've seen it in ages, I think the slowdown still isn't in these stocks. And that's why I continue to recommend this heavy cash position. I'll give you a good example. Macy's, OK? The barman store chain actually reported a good quarter. But, but what did it have to do? It had to address the coronavirus. And that was all she wrote. Stock reversed. Finished down the day. Down 5.5 percent. I've already been adamant that you should avoid the travel and leisure stocks. I, I, I I've told you I can't dump on the cruise lines anymore. I just feel awful doing it. But oh, geez, that's in the never too late category. Retailers, restaurants, they could be off-limits, too, if the CDC advises that people should go into lockdown mode, which is what I thought they were doing when they talked about disruption of our lives. I don't need to scare you with that list again. Obviously, speculative stocks have had their day in the sun for now. The air's coming out of those balloons. Get out of them. And oil and gas, sell. Environmental issues aside, you don't want to own energy into a slowdown. When oil breaks through 50, and I think it will, I think it'll dawn on people that it's not just... It's not just environmental concerns that are getting people out of those stocks. Why, why? Who doesn't miss the numbers in this kind of situation? Who can actually count them? All right, the utilities, many of which have run so much, some have more upside. I still like letter D, Dominion. I like Con Ed, too cheap. I can't emphasize gold enough. I do it every single night. It's probably boring the heck out of you. Uh, you want to be creative. If people start staying home in large numbers, I think Netflix is a big winner for obvious reasons. I recommend Amazon, too, if I weren't so concerned that delivery could be a problem. I debated talking about Disney. we got a new CEO coming. Uh, uh, Iger's going to be chair, exec chairman through 2021, but new CEO tonight. I was thinking Disney Plus, but you got those theme parks. No, not for me. Alphabet and Facebook, they can go lower, but you know what? They have strong businesses. They're not in China. Oh, boy, can you believe how lucky those guys are? They probably do well in this environment. All right, so what's really doing well? You know the trio. I still think that Zoom video, because you can be at your home, Moderna, because they have the vaccine that even Dr. Fauci talked about, and Gilead, because they've got the acute therapeutics, which means they've got antivirals. Those are my three musketeers. They're still buys, although the first two need to come a bit because I wouldn't put new money in them after these runs. Finally, cash. It's your pal, it's your king. As you roll through this moment, until the market at least becomes more oversold, we are only at minus four. After uh, this kind of market, this kind of news, I don't know. How about minus five, six, seven, eight? I feel better. When will most tech and industrial stocks that need get get so low that they reflect the global economy's newfound weakness? And I'm saying, buy depends. If the virus strikes here in a big way, then I think we'll end up having a lot more downside. Any sector that allows consumers actually going out and spending money will be in very big trouble. But if it doesn't come here in large numbers, then the downside will be more limited. We'll know more. Don't worry about it. We'll take our time. Now you've been prepared for the worst. I think hoping for the best is premature. Bottom line, I want to be more aggressive. I do. I want to believe that Moderna's vaccine works, that Gilead's antivirals has an impact, that zooms the way to work at home, and that I will have more stocks to recommend as the market goes down. But right now, I'd feel a lot more comfortable if there were even more pain in the market to reflect the true ugliness of this situation not now not yet will in hawaii will hi thanks for taking my call of course uh,
2: well, i want to diversify and get some health care the health care insurance stocks like united health again have negative p- political pressures uh for news money going in now do you feel rather a drug company like Bristol myers Is better postured better here or does it have a higher because it does have a higher PE and lower EPS than Johnson and Johnson? No,
1: no, I like Bristol Myers very much. He's got a three percent yield. But why is Bristol Myers going down right here? Because of Bernie Sanders, because people feel that Bernie Sanders has put a target on the back of all these drug companies. So Bristol Myers probably goes to fifty eight, fifty nine before my travel trust would say, you know what? Got to buy more. How about Jim in Virginia?
3: Jim. Hey, Jim, I Pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Same. I've been listening to you for quite a while, and uh, I've learned a lot. I've uh, learned to keep some money on the side. Yes! Um, it's a lot easier uh, saving money than to market go down when my money's in the market. So um, I'm trying to not be a pig so much. And uh, last week, uh, NVIDIA, which was one of my stocks, uh, it reached its all-time high, so I took a lot of money off the table. Yes, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't uh, advised that in your books and on TV. Right. And then uh, my real question right now is, uh, I, I think I know the answer, okay. but uh, I want to hear from you. Do you think we reached the bottom yet? No, or-
1: no. You made a great sale. Let's not press our luck. That was brilliant. You got horse sense. That's all I want from people. We sold Nvidia a lot. Some of it, we felt like idiots. That's often the best kind of sale, the one that feels idiot, and then it's real smart. Today was excruciating. So was yesterday. Hey, it's probably not over. I want you to prepare for the worst. Get tough. We we'll made money tonight. After decade, the company, MasterCard's Ajibanga is stepping down. Ajib we love you that'll put a ton of money to people. I'm talking to the bankable leader and successor about what's next. Then, two charts, two big worries. I'm tackling the technicals, telling you why they scare the heck out of me. And Salesforce just reported it for the close and announced that Keith Block is stepping down. Holy cow. Agent Bonga retiring, Bob Iger, and now Mark Benioff's partner, Keith Block.
3: Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
1: You might have missed it with the carnage today in the markets. I know the last couple of days have been terrible, but we got some big news in the financial technology space. Longtime MasterCard CEA Ajabanga, the man who took the company from a $26.5 billion credit card business and turned into a $301 billion financial behemoth, has announced he'll transition to the role of executive chairman by year's end. He's going to be replaced by a man by the name of Michael Meebuck, who's a longtime MasterCard hand, who's currently the chief product officer. We've been a huge fan of Ajabanga. MasterCard's a major position by Chapel Trust because under his tutelage, the company's achieved a 13% compound annual revenue growth rate. That's remarkable. This is a gigantic business. Get this. Stock's giving you a nearly 1,500% return since you took over has 285% since then. Now, he's turning over the CEO range to a man who knows the business inside and out. Of course, it was a tough day for any corporate news, and it didn't help that MasterCard last night had to lower its guidance because of the coronavirus. Well, we have to get a line on that, but uh, look, you know, I think many other companies have to do the same. So let's check in with Ajay Bonga and Michael Meehan to learn more about the leadership transition and the future for an unbelievable stock, even in a global pandemic. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, first... Uh, I've got to tell you, Mr. Bonga, I didn't expect it, but I know that you felt that there's a certain period of time that you yep. should run the place and then you should, uh, without leaving, because I know you're not going to just disappear, yep. uh, help out your successor. So tell us why now.
4: Well, I think I've had a great run. And, you know, it's been 10 years. And when I joined, I told everybody that I'd give it a 10-year crack. This is the 11th year. And so right. it's time. One of the things the CEO does well is build a good bench. We've got a great bench. I've got a person ready to move in who is great with his knowledge of payments in the industry, but also understands geographies and understands the kind of culture we want to build and sustain. And so it's a good time to step aside. Knowing when to step aside is as important as knowing when to drive.
1: Well, that's what we want to hear don't hear very often, frankly. Uh, Michael, you have knowledge of the areas that people really want to own. You have knowledge of payment technologies, digital innovation. Is there still a re- regulation the company, I've always felt, is way ahead of everybody else in these, in, in, in these areas. How much has already been you, and where can you take it?
2: So I think where we need to uh, go, where we can take it, huge potential beyond what we've already done. So there's a lot to be done in payments um, outside of card payments. We're hugely successful in card payments. But then think about all the other types of payments that are out there, from one bank account to another, push payments, mobile wallets, all these types of solutions. I think there's tremendous space out there. Think about the whole space of B2B payments, how you make business-to-business payments simpler. Massive opportunity for us. Think further ahead. Voice commerce. You know, what do we all think about the Alexas of this world and so forth? Um, How do we remain present in that space? More opportunity. So I'm pretty excited about what's ahead of us.
1: Uh, At the same time, I I think that geographically we've been waiting for you to be able to move into China. Uh, I think China needs your help more than ever it would seem like a natural for them to say, you know what, we need, we need what MasterCard brings. Any hope for that?
4: Yes, yeah, so we just got told that uh, our license application has been accepted. But, Jim, from here to actually getting transactions through our rails is probably a year and a half off, okay. in my thinking. We've got a great JV partner, NUCC. That's the company that actually does the clearing and authorizing and settlement of all the, all of the Alipay's and VCHATS right. transactions. So we're going to be the majority holder of that JV. And we're going to work with them locally on the ground. So I'm excited, but it's a year and a half.
1: Away. OK, I'm glad you put that in perspective because a lot of people want to jump the gun in terms of valuation. Michael, one of the things that uh, people say to me is, "Jimmy, you love this MasterCard so much. But there are things like PayPal that are they are digital. And you guys, they're plastic. Why do you still like plastic? That really isn't the right way to look at MasterCard, is it?
2: I think, Jimmy, you're absolutely right. It's not the right way to look at MasterCard. <laughs> If I just talk about our relationship with people like PayPal, they're amongst our largest customers. They're largest, you know. It's a front end. It is a way that people can pay, but in the end, it comes back to our rails and our reach, our safety, security. So the combination of business models like those with ours is a great way to think about it. Think about Apple, on the other hand. on yeah. you know, Apple and us partnering together with Goldman Sachs on the Apple card. Here's another digital company that, in the end, looked at our technology, like tokenization and things like that, and said, that is a great user experience that comes together. So I believe there is huge opportunity to partner and drive the overall payment ecosystem ahead. I'm
1: glad you brought up the Goldman card because I wanted to do that. The Goldman guys tell me, look out. This thing is really incredible. The Apple guys are telling me that it's amazing. But it doesn't get talked about enough for either company, particularly in an environment now where everything's for sale. But this is going to be longer after the coronavirus is over.
2: So, you know, I'm really not sure why it's not talked about enough. I think it's fantastic. I don't know if you ever applied yourself, but I again, you know, like 10 seconds. You yeah. got it right on your phone. I use it it's every a fantastic day. user experience. The card looks fantastic. So, you know, the other day I was in a shop and the shop assistant showed me the card with pride and said, I have it. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't happen with every other card. We're really happy about this partnership. True digital first card, but even people are excited about the piece of plastic in their hand. No, this is metal.
1: Okay, I'd be most remiss if we didn't talk about something that has nothing to do with earnings. It's just called DQ. It's a decency, decency quotient. You actually introduced it to me many years ago. This is, I think, as I will say, is your true legacy besides what you made for shareholders, DQ.
4: So I think that started out with me trying to explain to our employees the importance of leading with your heart and your mind, both with your colleagues and your peer group, but also outside in the community you live and work in. And my belief is that companies can do well and do good at the same time. And that's where the idea came from. So IQ, EQ is the things I grew up with. DQ is my way of saying decency quotient, which is Do you bring your heart and mind to work. Do people look for you as having their hand in the back or is it in your face? Are you the type who creates a level playing field and let the best person win? Are you fair as compared to just being nice? And I think all those things add up to this idea of DQ. So Jim, we pursued the idea of 500 million people coming into financial inclusion. That's happened. Actually, the work started with Michael in South Africa years ago. We've gone after 100 million meals for the World Food Program. We just announced the Priceless Planet Coalition, where we're going to plant 100 million trees with our partners. That's all part of the idea of DQ outside the company. And inside the company, and you'll love this, if you contribute 6% to your 401k anywhere in the world in this company, we will put in 10%. So the idea is that at 16% a month, you can retire at the right age with something close to 75 percent of your last drawn salary if you earn a decent return on it. So those are examples. And, of I, how I, you and do I'm this.
1: just get personal for a second. You once told me when my daughters were younger, yeah. there is hope. Women are improving in the workplace. You said you go to Smith, you get the best, uh, best you mathematicians. That, that was <laughs> something that you told me that made me feel like, you know what, top guys are getting it.
4: Yeah, Well, yeah, that was a funny story. We were trying to hire female engineers into our downtown tech hub in Manhattan. We sent a bunch of people out to Columbia School of Engineering, including a lot of women, and they came back with a bunch of men. And I said, that's good. I'm sure they're very good. But you're going to go to Smith College of Engineering because there are no men there. Let's see you get some back. (laughs) And they came back with the most outstanding women engineers who are now at the core of our workforce at the Tech Hub.
1: Well, I sure hope that you stay in the mix because you're an inspiration to many, many people. Thank you very much. And you will do a great job.
4: Thank you. Thank you you, for creating so much wealth
1: for people. Okay, that's Idra Banga. He is the current CEO of MasterCard. And that's Michael Mibak. He's the MasterCard chief product officer who's set to take over the CEO role in January. You get the kind of things that I asked you to talk about when you make that much money for people. But you are a decent, good man. And that's probably the most important thing. Thank, Thank you so it. much, gentlemen. Stay with me, mother. After two horrific days in a row, it looks like the market's finally taking this coronavirus seriously. I've been screaming that this outlook would do huge damage to the global economy. Nobody seemed to want to take me seriously until the last two days. Now that Wall Street's woken up to the danger, how much more downside could there be in the industrials? Quickly, uh, one of the ones in the blast radius of the pandemic. Rather than focusing on the fundamentals, we need to go off the charts with the help of Tim Collins. He's a brilliant technician, my colleague at RealMoney.com, to get an unemotional sense of what might be happening to these stocks now that the has turned so negative. Uh, there are p- a couple in particular, Colin had a lot of them, but he's worried about two that I thought really were representative of the much larger industries that we're worried about, and that's Intel and Caterpillar. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Why don't we start with the weekly chart of Intel? Now, here's a stock that spent the better part of the last six months on a complete roll, at least until the uh, outbreak. Intel's been a dream for the bulls. But unless the stock can make a sharp rebound in the next few days, Collins thinks that dream may quickly turn into an unmitigated nightmare. Over the past few months, uh, before the recent breakdown, Intel had been trading sideways pretty tight range after a huge rally at the end of January. So right here, it's just been doing nothing. Okay? See it? That action created what is known as a bullish flag pattern. I mentioned the last few weeks, not the last two months. It's a bullish flag pattern. Now, this is really important. Because it's a sign that a stock is catching its breath before launching into another leg higher. But not this time. Instead, the bottom of that flag formation failed to hold yesterday. I don't know if you can see. hope you can see that. It failed to hold. And now Intel's gone from possible breakout to possible breakdown in the course of a couple of sessions. Stock now just below sixty dollars. You got not one but two ceilings of resistance around sixty four and sixty eight. Now Collins thinks that the more likely well, let's just say Fifty-eight is probably most likely, and then maybe that fifty-five, four fives at bottom. What makes them so gloomy? In part, it's because the darn thing has fallen below its ten-week moving average. Okay, so that's that's the blue. Okay, and that's that little red thing I keep showing you about. Whenever Intel's done this over the past year, it's meant trouble. What happened last April. We go back here. Look at this. Stock plummeted from the 50s to the low 40s over the course of a month. Meanwhile, check out the Stochastic Relative Strength Index, or the stock RSI, down at the bottom. This is a combination of two momentum indicators, and right now it's giving you an extremely bearish reading, just like, again, the April of 2019 that you wanted to avoid. Even worse, Intel's far from oversold. In fact, when you look at the full Stochastic Oscillator, which measures whether stock might be overbought or oversold, Intel's still not that far from overbought territory. That means it has come up too far too fast and was likely due for a drubbing. And this is kind of what I've been emphasizing from the top of the show. These things haven't done enough work, is what we would say. This has got to go lower. Put it all together, and Intel's chart is an eerie resemblance to that breakdown that we saw last April. That didn't end well for the Bulls. And unless the stock makes a dramatic comeback over the next few days, Collins is betting the history will repeat itself, and so am I. All right, now here's another one that has been of I mean, it that was so hot, not anymore. It's called Caterpillar. It's among the best run industrials out there. Yeah, with a worldwide slowdown seemingly inevitable, the industrials are the last group you want to own. And that's why CAT stock is looking like a dog here. How ugly could this one get? As long as Caterpillar can hold above 130, something I don't think is that likely, but at the end of the week, Collins thinks you could be in the clear. But if the stock gives you a weekly close below 130, and it closed at 129 today, and then he says his dog has serious teeth. Where? While well, Cat's had a bad year so far in 2020, the full stochastic oscillator still hasn't reached oversold territory. Again, my theme, okay? We're not oversold yet. It's got a slowing, slowly descending downslope. That's not a good sign. But the heart of the bear thesis lies in the price action. If Caterpillar doesn't get any bounce from these levels, then its 10-week moving average will be on track to close below the 21-week moving average. When that same crossover happened last summer, this stock got pulverized. It's going to be worse this time, I think. Uh, even worse, if Cat closes below 130 on Friday, that will trigger a bearish head and shoulders pattern. And boy, is that ever the most reliably negative patterns out there? Based on that head and shoulders, Collins believes that this stock could fall another 10% from these levels. Below 130, the bears are firmly in control of this one. Caterpillar has three days to rebound back above that level, or it is in real trouble, It's bottom line. This market's been put through the meat grinder. But the charts of Intel and Caterpillar, as interpreted by Tim Collins, suggest that some major stocks could still have a lot more downside. He had so many others we could have done. We're not oversold enough yet, people. We're not. Let's go to David in New Jersey, please. David. Yes. Hello, Jim. How are you? I am good, David. How about you? Excellent. Quick question. What do you think about Ford Motor Company? Uh, You know, 52 week low. No real earnings momentum. I got worries about weakness all over the world. 8.3% yield. I know they want to protect that dividend, but I'm going to have to tell you, no. No. I never reach for yield, ever. Intel and Caterpillar are representative of much larger industries, and the chart suggests that they could head down, maybe substantially. And that's worth keeping in mind, isn't it? Because we're not that oversold yet. Much more red money And a major announcement to the close. The Salesforce co-CEO Keith Block is stepping down. I'm going to talk with now CEO, plainly by himself, Mark Benioff about what it means for the company going forward. Then, an under-the-radar fintech player that could be worth considering in this uncertain market. I'll reveal the name when I sit down with the CEO and all your calls rapid-fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. After the second terrifying day in a row with the market in free fall, I was hoping to get some clear-cut good news from Salesforce tonight. But even to reporting a dynamite quarter, the stock got hit in after-hours trading anyway. Salesforce delivered a $0.10 earnings beat off a $0.56 basis, higher than expected sales, up nearly 35% year-over-year. Their guidance was bullish. This may have been the biggest beat I've seen in some time for this company. Yet the news that co-CEO Keith Block was stepping down seemed to drive the after-hours trading because no one expected it. We need to know more. So what do we make of these numbers in the management change? Let's dig deeper with Mark Benioff, the straight shooting founder, chairman and, yes, CEO of Salesforce. Find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Benioff,
5: welcome back to Mad Money. Great to see you, Jim. Thank you for having me.
1: All right, Mark, I got a progression here. 2014, $4.1 billion. 2018, $10.5 billion. 2021 guidance 21.1 billion dollars you're growing like a small cap company you're putting on a huge amount of revenues how is it possible to get that kind of performance
5: Jim we had a great quarter and I couldn't be more thrilled with what's happening at salesforce and let me say that the guidance for this year of 21.1 billion is amazing uh, you know this as far exceeds our expectations of what this company, would be doing at this point. You know that because of our interview just, you know, a couple quarters ago. But things are going so well.
1: Um, okay, well, I got to mention, because uh, I don't know, a uh, guy you introduced do to that I like very much, Keith Block, co-CEO. He did a lot of things that allowed you, according to that unbelievable book, Trailblazer, that allowed you to spend some very quality think time as he just closed business after closed business after closed business, a kind of universally like guy, Mark. And now he's gone and your CEO, no longer Co-CEO, why?
5: Well, Jim, I am so grateful to Keith. And you know that Keith and I are such close friends. But Keith is ready to move on to his next chapter. And he's going to be staying on as an advisor to me. But I have to support him. And I am supporting him. It's He's ready to go forward. And uh, I give him my full blessing.
1: Do you want to come back to the East and be a CEO? He's kind of more of an East Coaster than a West Coaster.
5: Well, you'll have to ask him what he wants to do. I tried I think just now. Ready he's not to take responding. a little bit of a break.
1: <laughs> all right, so let's talk about the wins here. Uh, largest auto company in the world, VW. I know that you had a great relationship with Lamborghini, which is a remarkable place, and they use you extensively. Now it extends all the way up to the top, huh?
5: Well, Jim, you, you know that Volkswagen Group is one of the most amazing companies in the world. You mentioned one of their great brands. I think you've been to uh, Lamborghini in Italy, yeah, if I remember at least
1: it took it correctly. And you miles know their
5: CEO, Stefano. Yep. And of course, they have right next door there, Ducati, the motorcycle. Of course, they have Audi, which is the mainstream of the company. Porsche. They even have Bentley. They have so many amazing brands, but they need to tie it all together. This is a moment in time when every company has to have a single source of truth for their customers they need to know who their customers are and they need to develop a trusted profile for those customers so they can build a one-on-one relationship with them put them on a a journey if you will appropriate for volkswagen group and i'll tell you that's what we're doing with volkswagen so that all those different brands they have about a dozen of them can all be integrated into one customer relationship that's the power of salesforce and that's the power of salesforce and VW Group together.
1: VW did have a problem with diesel engines. You and I care passionately about the environment all behind them. They're doing
5: fine. Well, Jim, I'll tell you that I am really excited about working with the next generation of Volkswagen Group's leadership at the World Economic Forum in Davos. I met with Dr. Dees, who is their uh, new CEO, and we kind of planned out this new vision of what does it mean to have a one-on-one relationship between the driver and the customer, and I couldn't be more excited about our work with the company.
1: How expansive is your uh, relationship with Mike Roman and 3M? I know Mike well. They've got some divisions. Sadly, the coronavirus has made it so that their mass division is probably the hottest product in the world. Do you extend upon the whole panoply, uh, all the different uh, silos that you have of, uh, of different sales forces?
5: Well, you're exactly right. In fact, I have a box of those N95s in my kitchen that I was just looking at. And uh, it, 3M is a great company. And, you know, I also love Minneapolis and all of our great customers there. They have a huge vision of how to connect with their customers in a new way. It's a not only a B2C company, it's also a B2B company. Mm-hmm. That's extremely important part of the vision for 4.3M. For that is their sales, their service, their marketing, their commerce, and, of course, you know, all of their analytics with Tableau all can come together in this incredible new, new relationship with Salesforce that's powerful, and that's something only Salesforce can do for them.
1: Now, Goldman Sachs, very different from when I was there, where they only wanted to cater to the super rich. Now they're trying to cater everyone with their amazing relationship with Apple. I would think that, like many other banks, they needed Salesforce. So DJ Solomon came in, and uh, you have a good relation with him.
5: <laughs> well, I love DJ Solomon, and I love their vision, actually, of the full span of products. You know, I have an Apple card over here. I am an investment bank client over here and a corporate customer in the middle and everything in between. That gives an opportunity for Goldman Sachs to redefine what does it mean to have customer relationships. They also need to put their customers on a journey. Of course, a lot of people coming in at the low end with Marcus or with with the Apple card now. They want to bring them on a journey all the way up to the top, to the high-end products. Right. That can be a huge foundation for Salesforce and Goldman Sachs. Last question.
1: You are someone who is intimately involved with the CEOs of the companies that you you deal with. You like to close yourself. So did Keith. And you do that in person. You are probably the most in-person CEO. What are you going to do in an era of the coronavirus?
5: Well, Jim, I think that, you know, we're still at the beginning of understanding what does this mean, what is happening right now uh, in the world. Uh, In the U.S., there's only 14 coronavirus cases. We don't want to over amplify that situation. Certainly for some of our customers, it's an extremely serious situation. And I have to tell you, I have a lot of compassion for this terrible humanitarian crisis that's happening in many parts of the world. For the CEOs of the companies that I've spoken to, are the top airlines of the world, and top hotels of the world, and cruise ship companies. They're in a very serious situation. Right. For the vast majority of us, it still has not had an impact on our business. And, and I'll tell you that one of the ways that we architected Salesforce, and we've talked about this many times on, our sh- on your show, because the first time I met you was during the serious financial crisis. Right. Whether it's a financial crisis or whether it's a biological crisis, Salesforce is a strong company because 93% of our revenue is deferred. So we have the ability to persevere and grow and continue our success. And regardless of whatever could be happening in the world, we're going to continue our incremental growth to our our vision of the future.
1: I'm going to leave it right there. Mark Benioff. congratulations on an
5: amazing quarter on the way to $35 billion. Thank you, Jim. It's Uh, great to see you. please tell Keith
1: I wish him the best, okay?
5: Well, I hope you'll have him on the show, Jim. He's such a great person. He's a great friend. Love Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank Bye-bye. you so much, sir. That's Mark Benioff, founder, chairman, and
1: CEO of Salesforce. Man, by back in. It is time. It's time for the lightning. It's <laughs> time <laughs> for a Bye for one of the time bye 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 some good. for and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski down. the lightning round. We're start with John in California. John.
3: Hey, is Axon
1: immunized for coronavirus? Nothing's immunized from the coronavirus, but you know I like Axon, which is uh, does taser. It's been a big win for us, and we're reiterating that we still like it. Val in New York. Val.
0: Hey, Jim.
3: What could you tell me about Insingo? Uh-
1: Oh, man, it's got 5G, and it's got SaaS, and therefore it means that they ought to come on the show because there's too many of those other companies like that, and I can barely keep them straight anymore. Let's go to uh, Dwayne in Michigan. Please, Dwayne. Hello, Jim. What's the long-term outlook for Amcor, ticker symbol AMCOR? Simple packaging company. I like simple packaging companies. It's come down a lot. I don't think it should have. I actually think the stock's right here. Let's go to John in North Carolina. John.
2: John, Jim, thanks for taking my call for the 10th time. Hey Jim, Esperian Therapeutics got FDA approval on Friday for a less expensive non non statin cholesterol drug. I bought Yeah, it, made money. but that's
1: a, you know, bit It's a crowded market. The stock has run up very big. We've had them on a bunch a couple of times, and I think the stock has run too much. And I don't want to be there right now. Too crowded an area with too many players. Let's go to David in California. David. Hey Jimmy, chill. How's it going? Oh man, the chill uh, was really pumping it today.
2: Yeah, it's been crazy. Joe may have made a little error uh, there in the early
1: morning show, because kind of
2: apologized about that. I watched you, actually. <laughs> uh, well, a long time fan. Thank you for everything, for uh, for all the advice you give us, uh, home- the home gamers. Uh, my stock is uh, Mashed.com. I feel like it's uh, being thrown out with the bathwater.
1: I-, I don't know. I didn't like that last quarter that much. Remember, everything's got to be pretty darn pristine and in an era of the coronavirus Match.com may not be the um, exact uh, I want to be a a buyer of. Uh, You know, I mean, when you're like, you know, it's the last, you know what I mean? Let's go to Kevin in Minnesota. Kevin. Jimmy Chill, thanks for taking my call. Chill man's in the house. What's up? Hey, looking at energy transfer, dividend looks safe, balance sheet looks okay. Why do you want to reach for yield? Why do you want to create problems for yourself? Why do you want to hurt yourself? We have enough problems already. The answer is no. Okay? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: I'm opening up the lines to hear from you, the voices of Craig America, because it's an uncertain time. I want to talk to you. Mr. Kramer, I just want to tell you, you are absolutely, positively fantastic. Thanks for helping us not panic in times like this. The average investor, which we all know and love, you cater
5: to us, and we appreciate that for all you teach us.
1: I am not going anywhere. You shouldn't
3: either. We will get through this together. Kramer has your back. Call 1-800-743-CNBC and let's take on the market together.
1: We're going to figure this out. We'll puzzle it over and we'll make it so that we're all smarter. All right. After two terrible, horrible, no good days. Yep. It's worth sifting through the rubble to take a closer look at some of the hardest stocks in this newly awful market. Take WEX, S-W-E-X. It's a financial technology company in the corporate payment space that handles fuel cards, travel cards, employee health and benefits programs. This formerly red hot stock has already plummeted more than 12 percent from its highs last Thursday, although it's down only 1 percent for the year. Now, we know WEX was doing well before the coronavirus outbreak. Because they reported a terrific quarter with great guidance early this month. Plus, in recent years, the company's diversified away from fuel payments, making it much less sensitive to the gyrations of that portion of the economy. So has the stock come down enough to be worth picking at? Let's take a closer look with Melissa Smith the terrific chair and CEO of Wex, who's made investors a fortune to get a better sense of how our company's doing, where it's headed. Ms. Smith, welcome back to Mad Money.
0: Thank you. Great to be here.
1: Okay, since we've seen you last, you've made a couple acquisitions. You did Enet and Optal. I want to know how Wex has changed from your last appearance.
0: Well, we've grown a lot since the last time we met. Uh, We had a really great quarter you just mentioned. And included in that, we just announced two transactions. We have not closed them yet. Optal and Enet. Um, it expands our presence outside of the United States. We liked how it fit with the geographic diversity that we have with our business. Right. We also like the further expansion that we have outside of our fleet business into more travel-related products.
1: Okay, so when you're on last, someone stopped me, said, i really like Wex. I thought that boom was terrific. How do they make money on that Shell deal? And I said, okay, I'll ask her.
0: Okay, so Shell, we love Shell. You know, it was a new client this year. We right. We moved the whole portfolio over. Um, So think of that as as someone is is paying for their fuel. They're using a shell car. These are businesses, and we earn a percentage of what gets spent at the fuel location Um, and and a few ancillary fees from the Mm -hmm. customers.
1: So now when I look at the whole mosaic, you've got the terrific uh, deals with the gasoline companies. You've got these uh, companies that are doing uh, B2B payments, solutions to the travel industry. Uh, How much are you still a company that truckers rely on?
0: So truckers are actually a pretty small part of our business. Right. So I think of the, even our fleet business, which is 60% of our revenue. Okay. It, the, the trucking part is a, a relatively small part of that. Think of people that are making uh, service calls. Right. It may be a contractor. It may be a florist. It, it could be the federal government. You know, it's, it's all different size of companies that just happen to have vehicles. And then in addition to that, we have some 18 18- wheel trucks.
1: All right. I'm glad you said that because, you know, trucking is is being hurt right here. It's down 9 percent year over year. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure there were people say, well, maybe that's why the stock's been hit. But then you've just ameliorated that worry for me. Now, you did um, get bigger in corporate travel. Now, we've got to talk coronavirus. I feel Mm -hmm. terrible that we have to because it's going to be a metaphor that's with us for a long time. But did you double down on an industry that short term could have problems?
0: We love the industry over a long term. Really. Over you know, the long term. You know, over okay. the long term. You know what? I think we make decisions that are long term based. Right. And um, the, what we're seeing, and as you said, I feel horribly about the coronavirus and the impact of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a great thing to be talking about. Um, but if you look at market research, the, you can see based on some of the, the past issues that we've had, they tend to be short lived. So think of that as like a six-month period of time with a pretty rapid rebound. Right. We haven't closed the transactions that we have out there. We also like the geographic diversification that gives us. So think of, you know, if you have things happening across the world, they're typically happening within regions. So we actually think there's a benefit, and we're excited about it. Now,
1: I I know that uh, Expedia had some bad news today because they had a— Bloated infrastructure, if they were talking about it. e core customers include some of the largest online travel agency customers in Europe and Asia. Mm-hmm. Are they doing better over there?
0: So the, uh, about uh, 40% of the volume is in Asia, 60% okay. in Europe. Oh, do we have yes. to worry about China? Uh, but most of the business in Asia is outside of China. Okay.
1: See, because, I mean, I, I need you. You're a seasoned hen. You've created tremendous wealth. The stock is up huge. The revenues are up huge. I think people at home are trying to figure out, OK, well, what does a really good CEO do when faced with when you have a CDC person who's basically saying, well, you know, look, I'm worried about my children? I mean, this is not yeah. a regular environment.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the most important thing is, is to be calm. You know, when we make decisions, they're
1: short supply.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's, it, 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 when we, we bought a company called EFS a few years ago, okay. when we bought that company, same same day that we were pricing the debt, the Brexit vote happened. Right. It is, it's not an ideal situation. That transaction right. has been phenomenal for us. You know, so I think people forget that these things happen. They have an impact, right. but they're short-term. And you, and you kind of just move through it. And I think that's part of what we do as leaders is remind people yes, that it, is, it is short-term. Leaders.
1: What we do as leaders. That's great. I really like that. Thank you so much. Okay, that's Melissa Smith, chair and CEO of WEX, dealing with tough issues and I think creating wealth again for shareholders. David I wouldn't go anywhere. See, my good friend Brian Sullivan has every angle of this brutal sell-off covered in the CBC Special Report, which starts right after this. Well, I say this always a bull market summer, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The CBC Special Report, Markets in Turmoil, begins right now.
5: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.